Amen. Well, it's so good to gather uh, on the afternoon. It's incredible, again, when you look at churches and you look at their services. I often take note, um, uh, going by various different services, the uh, second service on a Sunday has basically disappeared from so many churches. You know, and I really find it a shame, not just because I get to preach twice on a Sunday. I love to do that, but also the rich fellowship. You know, uh, we, we only have uh, so, much, so much time during the week where we can get together, we can associate with one another, get, get to know one another. And I just think of having another time to come together to honor, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ on, on a Sunday, that day that we put aside to uh, magnify Him is so important. And so, anyways, I appreciate you being here today. I appreciate, again, preaching the Word of God. And we've come to, to John chapter 15 uh, this afternoon. It's amazing because in this um, passage of Scripture, he talks about, again, the vine, and the vine being Jesus Christ, and also the vine dresser being the Father. And I think as you look at this passage, as you heard Abe read this passage of Scripture, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's a very familiar um, metaphor as far as our life in Christ, as far as our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about those who happen to be true branches, those who happen to be false branches. He he tells us why we are going to ultimately be able to endure to the end. You know, and there's the, 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 um, the glory of this passage is if you want a greater understanding of your faith, of your salvation in Jesus Christ, all that entails, all that it is, this is the passage for you. This is a passage where you can really learn and really extend your knowledge of what, what it means to be a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to be tied to the vine. But as you look at this passage, we can't forget the context, right? Because right at the end of chapter number 14, um, uh, John writes this, or uh, Jesus says this, But I do as the Father had commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, Rise and let us go from here. And notice, again, uh, this is the end of the upper room discourse, isn't it? You know, they get up, they leave, uh, they make their way out of the uh, upper room, uh, they stroll through the streets of Jerusalem. They make their way out through the gate of Jerusalem. They go to by the brook Kidron, and they make their way to the Mount of Olives where they're going to come to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, and you have to realize that Jerusalem is on a mountain, isn't it? So as you look back as they are walking during the night, they can see Jerusalem. And, and on Jerusalem, it happens to be the Temple Mount. You know, and on the Temple Mount, the highest point happens to be the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was decorated with various different things to speak of the dignity, speak of the holiness of God. You know, rich men, the rich men that happened to be in Jerusalem would uh, many times donate various different jewels, various different gold to elaborate on the greatness, on the goodness of God. But up there was an image of a vine, you know, and all of these things. And some of the grapes on this vine, I mean, it was just huge. Some of the grapes on these, on these vines were as big as an individual. And you can almost imagine as they walked out of the city and Jesus began to teach them that he's looking back and they're thinking about the significance of this vine that happens to be on that temple mount. You know, and the, re- and the question we have to ask ourselves is why did he see it as so important to teach the disciples and even teach us by, by extension? Why is this so necessary teaching? Because, come on, well, we realize that the time had grown short, hadn't it? You know, it's just a few hours before his arrest. And when you have just so little time with somebody, what you're going to do is teach necessary truth. You're going to express necessary feelings. You know, if you happen to be on your deathbed and you're fighting for breath, you're not going to ask how, how the weather is. You know, who's, 
who's winning a certain sports sports game. You're not going to ask that, but you're going to you're going to profess or you're going to say something that you see is absolutely necessary. And that's what we saw in chapter number 14. You know, he tells them not to let their hearts be troubled. Yes, he's going away. And then he tells them necessary truth that's going to help them in the battle and the struggle of living in this dark world. You know, such truths as I'm going away, and when I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And it's amazing to look at that truth because when you look at that truth, we realize as we struggle in this world that this world is not eternal. You know, our problems, our difficulties that we go through are not eternal in nature. You know, he goes on from there and he says that the works that you will do after I'm gone are greater works than I have done. And of course, that's the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can become weary. We can look at it many times thinking nothing is being accomplished. But here it is. We are doing a great, the greater work that Jesus Christ had said again we would do. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It's so encouraging. You know, and he tells us, you know, that he's not going to leave us as orphans. You know, and it's incredible truth. It doesn't matter where we are, what we're going through. We are never alone, but we have another comforter. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God with us wherever we happen to be in a really intimate and personal way. And he tells us that he's going to leave something, doesn't he? He's going to leave his peace. And this peace with God, you know, we're justified forevermore. But there's also a peace of God. No matter what trials, no matter what difficulties that we can go through, we can realize beyond a shadow of doubt, nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. And our God is for us and not against us. And you can imagine how this was necessary truth for these believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, for these disciples who would go through these things. But the question is, again, why is this necessary truth? Why, why, why is this uh, absolutely a necessity to teach at this time? And the reason why it's so necessary a truth is because he wants to re- them to realize their signi- the significance of being tied to the Lord Jesus. You know, what it really looks like, what it really entails in the life. You know, and so he wants to show them that. You know, and it's amazing because I think through this passage of Scripture, you're born again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It really gives us a greater assurance. It really gives us a greater security in faith. Now, all those passages that tell us what it looks like to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think many pastors stand up and they just hammer it home and hammer it home and hammer it home. And what it does is it actually takes away security, takes away assurance of salvation. It takes away the whole message. You know, and what these passages are given, if we're born-again believers, when we look at them, what we should walk away is a greater encouragement. This Christ is our, and a greater encouragement even to change in our lives. But there's always a warning in those passages. You know, if we do not see, if we're really not tied to the vine, then there's a certain lifestyle that, that comes our way. So I really want us to look at this metaphor that happens to be right here, this illustration of our Christian life and our, and our union with the Lord Jesus. And we're just going to get started on it tonight. We're just going to look at verses 1 and a little bit again of verse number 2. But I hope it will really strengthen your faith and really strengthen what salvation happens to be in Jesus Christ. But I really want us to look at the truth of the vine. And you can see that in verse number 1, um, one here in, in chapter number 15, because Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now think of that, because I think one of the greatest struggles that we have as far as assurance, as far as security of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, is because we are many times starting to look at the wrong thing. In other words, we start in the wrong focal point. 
You know, and you see people like that all the time, don't you? You know, one moment they're just so alive with Christ. Christ is so real. He's so dynamic. He's so close to us in life. And then the next minute, he seems so distant. He seems so far away that they wonder if they've ever truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or if they happen to be believers in Jesus Christ. You know, and a lot of people, again, are like that. They're up and down. They're to the left or they're to the right. You know, and, 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 and many times it's from moment to moment. And I think one of the key things is many times we start at the wrong place. You know, we start and we look at ourselves. Isn't it true? You know, you look at ourselves, we look at our own foolish hearts, even as we did this morning. And I think we think this, you know, it's just a matter of time before I walk away from Jesus Christ and denounce the faith. You know, have you ever thought that? You know, and what we're doing is looking at our own fickle hearts. And what we should do is look at the God of our salvation. Because when you look at the God of our salvation, all the attributes of God are involved in our assurance, isn't it? Involved in our security, involved in our endurance. We realize His justice is involved because every time we sin, we realize that we are justified because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize, again, His amazing love that's able to keep us, able to hold us. You know, no matter what we go through, we realize his wisdom, you know, that happened to be in this word that can convict us of sin and bring us back and bring us back. We realize his sovereignty, right? His power. And through all of the difficulties that happen to be of life, he is able to hold us so that nothing can snatch us out of our Savior's hand. And the key to real security is realizing who our God is. Realizing the glory of our God of our salvation. And I wonder how many times we contemplate that, even, even, even as we go through uh, difficulties that happen to be in our life. Because we look at our great God that happens to be here in verse number one, and we see two members of the triunity. In fact, as we go back to chapter number 14, he kept emphasizing another comforter is coming. But here we see two, two members. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So we see Jesus Christ identify himself, right? And who is he? I am the true vine. Now remember, one of the major themes or one of the major theological things that are being taught through this gospel is Jesus is the great I am. And this is the seventh you know, statement, those seven famous statements throughout the gospel of John where we see that he is the great I am. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of it. You can, all, you can look at some of the other uh, sermons if you, if, you, if you want more detail as far as the great I am. But that is the personal name of God, right? I am that I am. I'm the great uh, self-existent one. This is the name that the Jews did not utter, Jehovah, Yahweh, right? He's claiming deity for himself. And we've also mentioned in the past, if this is true, then Jesus, as many people try to profess, that Jesus is just a good man. He cannot be just a good man because nobody makes these kinds of professions about themselves and having to be a good man. He's either God in human flesh, he's either the great I am, he's either the eternal word, or he's the greatest imposter, the greatest scoundrel that has ever lived. He's either one or the other. Now, we know through his signs, through his miracles, through his wonders that he did, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt through his teaching and through his death, burial, and resurrection that this is none other than the great I am. This is none other than the eternal word. This is none other than the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. This is none other than God in human flesh. 
And we realize that. But in those titles, those I am titles, he's also given us revelation of himself. And right here he says, I am the true vine, right? And the question we have to ask ourselves, what does he mean by the true vine? Not a vine, but the vine, right? The one and only. Other words, <coughs> excuse me for a second. Other words, the one where life is going to be found, you know, and the only place that life is going to be found. And when he says he's the true vine, it's against all other false vines that happen to be out there. And you have to realize, during the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, during that epoch that happened to be in history, there was many people who came on the scenes that said that they were the Messiah. They were the chosen one. If you wanted life, you had to follow them. But Jesus says, out of all those would-be vines, I am the only vine. I am the only true vine. Now, it's an amazing metaphor. And the question we have to ask ourselves, why is it so strong? Why would it be so strong? Why would it be so necessary in the disciples' lives? And this is why, I, I want you to get this, that Israel was to be the true vine of God. You know, everything that they were to be, they were to be the true vine of God. That's why the vine was up on the Holy of Holies, right? They were to be this people that were chosen by God and through their love, through their obedience, through their devotion to God, they were to be a witness to all the world of the character, of the grandeur, of the glory again of God. You know, the problem with Israel is that they rebelled. The problem with Israel is that they disobeyed. And you have this teaching over in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about, again, Israel being chosen of of God, how they were to be, again, this great vine, and how the father was the vine, vine dresser. It says in verse number two, he says that he dug it out and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield the grapes. In other words, that they were to be this witness of the glory, of the character of God. But it yielded wide grapes. Wild grapes, and wild grapes are good for nothing. They're absolutely discarded and thrown away. And God, God gave every advantage to Israel to be what they needed to be as far as this witness. You know, it goes on even in uh, verse number 7 of Isaiah uh, chapter 5, and it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Now listen to what he says next. And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So God's anchor is upon them. You know, his wrath, his, his judgment happens to be again upon Israel. You know, and they're cast out because of their, uh, they, they were unproductive. And here's the message. Everything that Israel was meant to be, everything again in the law and statutes, everything again as far as their devotion, as far as their heart, as far as their desire for God, everything that they were to be, here it is. Jesus Christ was. You know, he was the perfect vine. He was the perfect one who would come. Now think of that. Because why is that so significant? Because we're more like Israel than we are like Jesus Christ, aren't we? We have these foibles. We have these sins. We're prone to wander. We're prone not to be productive in our lives. And why is that so encouraging? Why is that so assuring of our salvation? It's because of this. It's because where I have my life, where I have my Identity is in who I am joined to, and it's Jesus. So his perfect life is my perfect life. I'm found in him. 
And not only that, and we're going to be talking about this in, in upcoming uh, sermons on this passage of Scripture, but I'm tied to him. You know, think of that, because I think a lot of times we look at the situations, we look at the uh, circumstances of our life, we look at the relationships of our life, and we think we're stuck. We think there's a certain things in our life I can never overcome. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's a yearning for certain sin, maybe it's that, that, that subtlety of that sin that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. There's no way I can overcome it. We can overcome it. And the reason why we can overcome it is greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. It's because of the one we're tied to. You know, forevermore, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this should encourage our hearts. You know, when we recognize who we are, when we recognize our life is joined forevermore with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have this assurance of salvation, what it does is create in us is a great encouragement. And through that greater encouragement, through recognizing that Jesus Christ is really for us, there's a greater encouragement really to live for him, to follow him, to glorify him. Now think about it. So we're joined to Jesus Christ. We have our salvation in here. But he also says something else because he really gives us a double assurance in this first verse, you know, reminding us again of this true vine of Jesus Christ because he says right at the end of the verse, he says, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and then he says, as in my father is a vine dresser. Now think about it. What did the vine dresser do? You know, if you had to describe a vine dresser, what would you do? You know, it's almost like a farmer, isn't it? You know, he would go out and he would tend to the vines. He would cut the vines, you know, the wild weeds that were coming out. He would pull, he would pull them out. He would tend them. He would prune them. He would uh, take care of them. He would water them if they needed water. He would do whatever was necessary. And the vine dresser, again, of our lives is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of it, because I think a lot of times we think of God as distant, and God, God, in a sense, is really transcendent. He's above, he's holy, he's august, he's up there. But we many times for, 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 uh, forget that God is imminent, that he's really close to us. And how he is close again to us is basically what this is talking about. If he is the vine dresser and we happen to be a branch of Jesus Christ, then he's intimately involved in the details that happen at the beginning of our life. And think of what that means, because it tells us that every blessing and every um, struggle that happens to be in our life is there by a divine appointment. Every relationship that we have in our life is there by divine appointment. We have this great and sovereign God. It doesn't mean that I understand why these things are taking place or that that's taking place, but that's where we come back to God and his character, right? I know this God. I know he's worthy to be trusted. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the best for the vine. He is the best for me in mine and his glory. You know, we see again this in his absolute sovereignty. In fact, Mark Jones writes this in his book, God Is. God's providence remains the work of an infinitely wise, good, and powerful God. Even when we cannot understand all the details of each story, we nevertheless, listen to what he says, cast ourselves on the one who cannot act in a way contrary to who he is. And who he is gives us all the comfort we ultimately need in a world full of, listen to what he says, perplexing trials, right? We have these perplexing trials, but I know the character of the one I am. I know that I'm 
forevermore connected to the great I am. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the one who is tending my life and all of the events of life happens to be my great father God. I mean, what great assurance, what greater assurance can we have even in the events of our life, realizing beyond a shadow of doubt the character of our God. But I want us to look again just quickly also at the branches. We need to see the branches. And you see this in verse number two of our passage. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, it may bear more fruit. So he goes from the vine, you know, and he goes from the vine dresser to what the vine and what the vine dresser are ultimately trying to produce. And that happens to be, again, uh, uh, branches that, that, that are productive. And that's so helpful, isn't it? Because often in our lives, I think we do a good job at explaining our salvation and what has happened at salvation, what Jesus Christ has accomplished, and even our great hope that happens to be, again, right over here in Jesus Christ. We'll one day be with them. We'll one day have these glorified uh, bodies. We'll one day be able to to glorify him perfectly. But a lot of times we wonder about this time frame. The time frame that happens to be again in here now. What is the purpose of this time frame? And the purpose according to this parable that happens to be right here, this metaphor, this illustration, is that we would be productive. There would be a a production in our lives that speak of his great glory, his great goodness. Right? And we realize this. We realize this. We preach it all the time that we are not saved by works, right? We're saved by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved through his grace and through his grace alone. And we have chapter and verse, uh, verses that bring it up, such as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that, here's the outcome. No one may boast. I mean, what do we have to boast about about our salvation? Christ has done it all. You know, it's really easy to look at that and say works play no, 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 no part in our salvation. And we'd be absolutely right. But let me tell you, true saving faith always produces works. Always produces. I mean, if we're attached to Jesus Christ, if we have life through Him, if the vine dresser is involved in our life, if we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, how can it not produce good works? In fact, read after Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, we come to verse number 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Listen to what He says, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God prepared, even before we came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have this fruit, we would have this change that comes over our lives. You know, and, and, and we realize, and again, I cannot emphasize it enough, if we are connected to Jesus Christ, if we have the vine dresser, the Father involved in all of the infinite details that happen to be again in our life, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. How can we not live, again, productive lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's amazing, because the verse that we just looked at, you know, and I'm going to take a little caveat, and please understand, I'm going to talk more about verse number two next time we're together, but I'm going to take a little side trail. And the reason why I'm going to take this little side trail is because I have to teach a little theology here. You know, you know and I'm only going to take a couple minutes, but I have to point this out, because this is a favorite verse of Arminian theology. And Arminian theology basically teaches this. 
You're responsible. You're the one who brings yourself to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the one, again, who affects that salvation. It's not God. It's not his grace. It's not his mercy. You know, it's not his effectual grace, as many times we call it. But as grace only comes flooding in our lives after we have decided to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe that, the corollary truth, and a lot of people, again, who are Arminians today don't believe this a corollary truth, but it, but, but it has to be, right? If I can bring myself into Christ, here it is, I can take myself outside of Christ. You know, in one of the most favorite passages of Scripture to teach that I can lose my salvation. I can take myself out of... Jesus Christ happens to be this passage of Scripture. Now the question is, where do they ever find it in this verse? Well, we'll read it and see if you can see it. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now let me just give you the classical teaching on this passage again, really quickly in three or four sentences or less. And a classical teaching that happens to be in this passage of Scripture is it's not talking about those who happen to be haters of Christ. It's talking about a category of people, and here's the whole category of people. They're all in one way professors of Christ. It doesn't mean that they all possess Jesus Christ, but they're all professors of Jesus Christ. Some of them, are, again, are false branches. And therefore, there's no fruit, fruitfulness. There, there, there's none of that glory that's ultimately brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're going to be thrown into fire. Others, again, are true, true believers. It doesn't mean their lives are perfect because they're going to be pruned, right? right? There's going to be things that are going to be taken off their lives that they might be more productive. But these true branches will bring forth fruit, and they will sing, again, of the glory of the vine, Jesus Christ. Now, that's a classic teaching. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I hold to that classic teaching of this verse. The question is, how do Armenians ever get that we can lose our salvation or we can take ourselves out of Jesus Christ? And it's right there at the beginning of the verse. Because right at the beginning of the verse, it says this, every branch in me. And then he goes on and talks about these false branches and these true branches. But that's the key, in me. You know, isn't that what salvation is? It's our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Right, that's what salvation is, is to be in Christ and not outside of Christ. So here's the question, how do we answer that? How do we rebut that? And how we rebut that, how we answer that, is to realize, again, two things. And one thing is, there is no passage of Scripture that is ever given in isolation, right? Right? Otherwise, we don't take a doctrine, we don't take a truth and say, this is the only passage of Scripture that teaches, again, on this, and therefore we have to... Um, interpret everything that happens beginning in light of that. But we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Scripture teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt when somebody truly comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they pass from darkness to, to, to light, when they become a born-again um, uh, 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 believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that salvation will never be taken away. And the reason why we know that is because of what Scripture says. Earlier in this gospel, Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse number 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never. Now, think about that. What does the word never mean? What does the word never mean? Anyone know? That's right. It means never, right? There's no possibility. In other words, no circumstance, nothing will ever come into my life. There's nothing I could ever do 
where Jesus is going to cast me away, cast me out. Now, I don't know how much more clear that you can get than that, but let me give you one other verse. It happens to me in chapter 10. You know, chapter 10 talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. And it says this, again, of those who are true sheep. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Now, let me ask you a question. What does never perish mean? What does it mean? It means what? It means never to perish, doesn't it? I give them, again, eternal life, and they will never perish. And listen to what he says. And no one will snatch them out of, out of your hand. Now, I, I can remember talking to an Armenian one time, and I gave them this verse. And at the end, it says, yeah, yeah, it says no one. But you, you can snatch, snatch yourself out, out of your hands. And I looked at him and said, aren't I a somebody? <laughs> no one means this. No one. Doesn't it? So here's the question. On the basis of the corpus, again, of Scripture, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Scripture teaches that those who are truly born again can't take themselves out of the faith. So what do we do with this phrase in me? And this is where I think a lot of times we take a metaphor, we take an illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we, and we many times, again, look at all the details and try to stress all the details when there's one major teaching that happens to be. And the major teaching that happens to be is he's talking about all those who profess salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, and the difference between this person and the difference between this person is really found in verse number six. And listen to what it says. If anyone does not abide, look at that word abide, in me. So they're claiming what? We're in Christ, right? But what are they not doing? They're not abiding in me. He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And that's the difference. You know, if one abides and one doesn't. So if, so if all of a sudden we see one who claims to be a believer, one who claims to be a brother, one who claims to be a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden they stop abiding in Jesus Christ, this is what it means. They've never abided in Jesus Christ, even though they gave that profession. They were never in him. That's his whole point. That's why it's a dead branch. You know why it's a dead branch? Because it was never connected to the Lord Jesus Christ to begin with. It never had life in him. But the truth that this verse is trying to teach, in fact, the truth that happens to begin in this passage of Scripture, is each one of us should be able to look at our lives and see evidence of being connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. And it shouldn't be difficult. We should be able to look into our lives and see how we relate differently to our spouse, see how we relate different to our family, see how we relate differently to our church, see how we relate to even people that happen to be again uh, that, that we work with. It should be evident that it happened to begin in our lives. It's not, again, that we live perfect lives. We realize beyond a shadow of doubt that he will trim, you know, he will take off the, 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 that. He will cultivate the vine. He will cultivate the branches. And the encouragement that happens to be there, if I can see change in this area, and I realize change is necessary in this area, and I realize God has changed me wonderfully, dramatically, gloriously in this area, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he can change me in this area. And the reason why is because I am connected to the vine. Now think of it. Because there is a warning there too. You know, in our day and age of easy believism, 
other words, again, I claim Christ, I claim Christ, I claim Christ. Well, I think that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a whole vast group of people who claim Christ. But here are these people who are in love with the world, desire the world, desire the things that happen to be in this life, life rather than the Lord Jesus Christ that happens to begin in their life. And this is what he's telling us. If you are connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, your life will be different. You know, it would be easy to see that there happens to be again a fruit that comes through your life that's different from your neighbors, from your co-workers, from your extended family members that do not follow the Lord Jesus. It should be, again, evident to see that happens to be in your life. And if you have a hard time, look at the word fruit in the word of God and see what it means by fruit. And let me just give you one passage, and it happens to be in Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about those nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit of God. And are these in greater um, degree in our lives? Not perfections, but greater degree in our lives. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, is love. Are we more loving, joyful? Do I have a greater peace, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of trials that happen to me in our life? Do I find myself more patient? Do I find myself, even though I can be nasty, even though I can be rude, even though I can be unkind, do I find myself measured by kindness, measured by goodness, faithfulness to God, gentleness to others? Is there a self-control that comes over me? Because he says, against such things, there is no law. In other words, I'm living that life. And let me ask you, you know, when your family, when others people look at your life, do they see a change? Do they see any type of fruitfulness that speaks, again, of being connected to the vine of the Lord Jesus? Because I'm going to say it again. If we're connected to the vine of Christ, if God the Father is a great vine dresser over all the events of our lives to make us more productive in the Lord Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit truly dwells in our hearts, we can't help but be different. We can't help, again, have this fruit comes out of our life. So the call that happens to be of this passage of Scripture is to stop making excuses and really examine our lives. If we, if we look at our lives and we're truly not in Jesus Christ, then we need to repent. We need to trust in Him. And also, as believers, there's a message that happens to be in us. Because so often, even as we looked at this morning, we can make so much excuses for lack of conformity in the Lord Jesus Christ. If I am connected to Jesus Christ, then true, lasting change that glorifies the vine, Jesus Christ, can come in my life. I just need to trust in him and the life that he's given. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for these illustrations because we realize when we look at these illustrations, Lord, truths that many times are just in black and white, just many times seem to be statutes, are written on a page. Uh, Lord, come to life. And when we look at the vine, when we look at a fruitful vine, Lord, we recognize the difference between a dead vine. God, we can see that life. We can see those grapes. We can see those clusters that happen to be on there. And Lord, we realize that that is an illustration of the Christian life. Lord, we're saved. We're saved not just during that time period that once we die, we can hand in our life insurance policy and go to heaven. But Lord, we are given this life and all the trials that happen to be in this life to produce a life, to produce a change, produce a transformation that was not there in the beginning. God, we ask that you would help us to trust Christ. The
worship him and we can change. We thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen.